Hey, thanks for downloading and listening to the New Life Church Downtown Podcast. We'd love to stay connected on Instagram at NLC Downtown Little Rock or TikTok at NLC Downtown. We have devotionals, audio from our weekend messages, conversations about big topics and culture today, and lots of options for you to become a disciple of Jesus. We aren't just a Sunday church. We want to be here for you Monday through Saturday too. Looking forward to getting to know you better. morning. How is everyone? Y'all doing well? Uh, if this is your first time to New Life Church, my name is Bronson. Uh, I'm excited you're here. We are in the middle of a series on Jesus. I always joke. People are like, what are you going to talk about at church? Jesus. You know, that's always a good thing to talk about. But this week, Ian, heads up, catch that for me. Uh, <laughs> this week, we're going to talk about Jesus. We've been talking about it for about four weeks. And so uh, the first week, we talked about Jesus as the good shepherd. Everybody say good shepherd. He's the good shepherd who protects his flock and who also laid his life down for the flock. Uh, week two, we talked about Jesus as the perfect prophet. Everybody say prophet. We talked about weird church prophecy stuff and how Jesus is unlike all of those prophets. Uh, he declares the truth and uh, it actually happens when Jesus says it. And so we saw him fulfill that office. And then week three, we talked about Jesus as the perfect priest. That was last week. And he is our high priest uh, who didn't just bring a sacrifice. He became the sacrifice. Amen? Y'all with me? And this week we're going to talk about Jesus as the perfect king. Everybody say perfect king. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. When you think about uh, the kingship of Jesus, I, I think that there are some misconceptions I want to address before we start going. So just imagine this. Imagine that we're being invaded. All right, it's not all that difficult to imagine nowadays, right? Uh, imagine we're being invaded and New York City's the battleground. It's like the Avengers, the first one, right? Y'all with me? And uh, it's good. And we're here in Arkansas and we're kind of awaiting what's coming. And we're watching and we're scared. We're, we're afraid that our liberties, our peace is going to be taken, that our land is going to come under foreign rule. And we get word, we get a notification that the battle's been won, that we had a great leader who came in and who, who won the battle for us, a great general, and now we are the recipients of that peace. Y'all, this is the story of the gospel. A lot of times when we think about the gospel, we think about advice, right? We think about advice columns or we think about self-help books. The gospel in its essence is not good advice. You can get good advice anywhere. Amen? The gospel is good news, that what Jesus has done for you and what Jesus has completed for you has brought peace and has covered your life. He's won the war for us. Amen, are y'all with me on that? And so this week, we're gonna look at Jesus operating in the office of the king. And we're gonna be back in Matthew 8. We talked about uh, in, in Matthew 8, 1 through 4, we talked about the prophet. But we're gonna be in 5 through 13. So go with me to Matthew chapter 8, 5 through 13. And we're going to look at Jesus as the willing king. We're going to look at Jesus as the transcendent king. And we're going to look at Jesus as the king above all kings. And so I'm going to read it. Uh, Y'all track with me and just kind of soak this in. Uh, Soak in the word of the Lord. I'm, I'm going to read it over you. Here's what it says. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him. Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. 
I know this because I'm under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go, or I say come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from the east and the west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, go back home, because you, what you believed has happened. And the young servant was healed that very same hour. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you're the creator, God, that you're the Lord of heaven and earth. God, we thank you that you designed us and you built us for purpose. God, we thank you that you want to be our king. God, we thank you for Jesus who came and found us in a terrible state and he took our place. And God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit which guides us and leads us and leads your church. We honor you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, I've got a little life update for you. I got a video. Uh, turn this up loud, production team. See this? Our verbal processing time for Sherman is a little different these days. Right, Georgia? Yeah, let's cover him up. That's what he needs. That's what he needs. That's good, Georgia. Our life is a little different these days. Uh, those are our three little bundles of joy. Uh, Callie and I are, are, are loving it. If you're wondering how we're doing, we haven't slept much. This is not a prop to prove to you that I'm relevant and cool like my youth days. This is a necessity, all right? So get a little, get a little swig here. Oh, that's the nectar of God right there. I'm going to get a little another hit. Uh. That is number two this morning. Okay. Uh, so, uh, George is getting a little bigger, and that's great because it means that I don't have to watch Mickey Mouse Clubhouse all the time, and all the parents said, amen. amen. If I have to watch one more of those shows, I'm not going to make it, guys. I'm going to lose it. Um, she can now follow plot, which is amazing, which means we can watch movies, and I've been waiting for this day. And so she's in the phase where she'll also watch movies over and over and over again. And so uh, we watched The Lion King. Tell me if you've heard this story before, okay? There's a good king. This king's name is Mufasa. All right, everybody say Mufasa. Mufasa, 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 all right? Okay. Uh, and, and there's an anti-king. There's a false king. There's a king who wants his throne, and that king's name is Scar. And Scar brings about a fall, and he takes a bunch of followers with him. And uh, under Scar's rule, the rivers are, are drank dry, right? The land becomes desolate. Uh, there's no more uh, animals in the hunting ground. There's no more food. And it becomes an absolute barren wasteland. What used to be a perfect garden of life becomes an absolute barren wasteland. But what we see is in the story that there's a secret king, that there's a true king. And his name is Simba, Right? And Simba is, is the king that everyone thinks is gone, but one day he hears of the need, and he leaves the utopia that he lives in with Timon and Pumbaa, eating bugs and living life and singing songs, and he comes back into the battle, and he overthrows the false anti-king, and he sits back on the throne, and under his leadership and under his lordship, 
the waters come back to the rivers and the animals return and the grass comes back and the utopia is rebuilt. Does this sound familiar? This is the story of the Bible. Y'all, God has written on us a desire for a true king. That's why all of our stories, our hero stories, all of our stories point to a knight that will come back and slay the dragon, right? To these avengers, these heroes that will come and overthrow the oppressors. You know, there is something within us that desires a king. In our heart of hearts, we all long for a king who will set us free and bring our world back to rights. Who will bring healing and hope and restoration and that everything would be as it should be. We long for this, don't we? The message of the Bible is that God, in the Old Testament, he was known as Yahweh. Everyone say Yahweh. The message of the Bible is that God designed us, us, created us, and he created our world to have him as king and Lord. And, and what we're going to look at today is, is the way that Jesus fulfilled this desire. Um, but first, I, w- I want to look at, at what happened um, and, and how... The people, like we always do, kind of missed it and got off track. So look at uh, 1 Samuel 8, 6 through 7. To give some context here, this is uh, written in the Old Testament. And the Israelites, they had been enslaved under who? Egypt. Everybody's nervous. You knew the answer, but you were nervous. <laughs> they were enslaved under the Egyptians for 400 years. They were led out by Moses, Right? And they went across the Red Sea, they went through the desert, they came out on the other side, and here they are dwelling in the promised land, and what do they want? They want an earthly king. They envy the people around them. They've forgotten the God who led them out, and they want a human king. So look what it says. This is in verse 6, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 6. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. I feel like that's such a great understatement. The Bible is so full of these. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they've rejected, but they've rejected me as their king. God desired to be the king of the people of Israel. God desires to be our king. And he goes on to warn what will happen with a human king. He says, he'll take your, your daughters and your sons as servants. He'll demand portions of your land. He'll take and take and take and take from you until you cry out from relief. Where we cry out for God's kingdom, and we don't even realize that's what we're crying out for. You know, a guy named Mark Sayer said it this way. He said, we, we want the kingdom, but we don't want the king. We, we want the freedom, but we don't want the yoke, the, the teaching that God would bring us. We want the Savior, but we don't want the Lord. And I, I think one of our modern myths is that we no longer live under kings, right? Like when we think about kings, we're like, okay, like the English have their monarchs, right? Which are essentially just rich people that they get to watch get married periodically. And we all love it. Globally, we love it. There's something about it. But we all have kings. What are the kings that are set up in our lives? These are the things that we most deeply adore and we find security in. Another word uh, biblically would be idols. We, we set up idols for ourselves. We have heroes, people that we give glory, people that we give affection to, people that we give our hearts to. They're politicians, they're financial titans, they're actors and actresses, they're athletes. It's Elon Musk, it's Bill Gates, it's Warren Buffett, it's our political candidates, it's the Kardashians. 
Okay, maybe not the Kardashians. But we give our attention, our adoration, our affection to these people, and what do they do? They drink our rivers dry. They fill us with envy. They never satisfy us in the way that we want us to. They lead us down paths that end up destroying us. Why? Because they themselves are going on paths that are destroying them. And we place our security in them. And their rule is a poisonous rule. Tim Keller said it this way. He said it's an idol. Is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. And then I'll feel significant and secure. Idolatry is worship of an unworthy object. It is making a king of something that was never meant to be king. How do kings function? They bring about peace because they have covering. They set borders. They set boundaries for the people. And under these boundaries, the land prospers, the people prosper, the animals prosper. Everyone prospers under a good king. And and the story of the New Testament is the story of Jesus ushering in the kingdom of God. Everyone say kingdom of God. All four of the Gospels, its main thrust, its main argument is not that Jesus is God. That's assumed, right? That's assumed. That's not what the gospel writers are trying to argue. What they're trying to say is that Jesus is inaugurating the new kingdom of God, the new way of God. And so let's look at this. Um, the, The main way the four gospels communicate this, Jesus is declared to be the bringer of the kingdom through his life, through his miracles, through his teaching, through his death, and through his resurrection. Matthew begins by identifying Jesus as the son of David. Remember, Matthew begins with a lineage, right? And he ties Jesus to King David, immediately placing kingship on the agenda of Jesus. In his birth narrative, he stresses this link and the perception that Jesus is born to be king as a fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus' message is of the good news of the what? The kingdom. He speaks frequently about those who will partake in the kingdom. It requires childlike trust to enter the kingdom, while the self-righteous and self-sufficient will find great difficulty in entering this kingdom. His miracles are signs that the kingdom has come near. Matthew records a series of parables on the kingdom, usually liking it to some daily event, which perceptions lead to spiritual enrichment and some sort of desirable outcome. Y'all don't miss this next part. Yet the parables also reinforce the hidden, spiritual, and distinctive characteristics of the kingdom which may make it accessible only to those who are initiated to its truth. The natural heirs of the kingdom, the Jews, and especially the religiously self-righteous are shown to be on the outside. This is significant for us. We live in what's called the Bible Belt, right? We have our own version of cultural salvation. And what I want to submit to you this morning is that what Jesus came to do was not to just have us be inculcated or surrounded by a culture where we can claim Christianity, but he came to be the king of our hearts. So often, we think it's enough that this is the dominant religion that we were raised up under, so that means, therefore, we're saved by it. It's the dominant religion of our, our, our culture, and so we're like, well, okay, I... I believe this, I've heard this, but what I want to submit to you is perhaps Jesus is after more. Jesus is after our hearts. Remember this, a rightly ordered heart 
leads to a rightly ordered life. What we see in our text is someone whose heart is rightly ordered, someone who should be on the outside but is found to be on the inside. They recognize the true lordship, everybody say lordship, and kingship of Jesus. So here's the number one question we have to ask ourselves, and I think it's massively important. Who or what is the king of your heart? Who or what is the thing where you say, if I have this thing or I find this thing, or if this is right in my life, or if I have this person in my life, then things will be okay. Well, let's jump into the text. Uh, Point number one, Jesus is the willing king. Matthew 8, 5 through through 7, here's what it says. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him. Lord, notice that he said, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Okay, so a few things we have to notice. This is not just a soldier, okay? This is not just like, God bless the troops. We love the troops, right? That was not the situation in first century Palestine, okay? This was the oppressor of the Israelites. They did not look at the Romans and say, gee golly, I'm glad the Romans are here to keep us safe. (laughs) They said, this is another of a long list of oppressors who have been falsely taking and ruling our land, the land that Yahweh meant to give to us. And so what we need and what we're searching for is a true king who would come and drive out the Romans and to bring peace and prosperity back to the land. So let's look at this in a present-day example, just to really let this land home, okay? Imagine with me for a second that uh, the Russians take over the United States of America, right? Okay, this is real, okay? So just imagine they've taken over, and they're ruling and reigning from Moscow, and they send uh, different delegates to come and oversee different regions, and we become an oppressed people underneath the Russian rulers. And then imagine one of these oppressive rulers comes to a person that we have identified and said, this may be the leader that we've been looking for. This may be the person who can rally us back to what we once were, who may be able to unify us and organize us that we might take up arms, drive the Russians out, and have America back. Can I get a praise God? Somebody, right? Right? That's how we'd be feeling. And then imagine... This person who'd been doing miraculous works, who'd been doing healings, who'd turned water into wine, who'd given all these amazing teachings, we'd started to put our hope in. One of these Russian oppressors comes to him and says, one of my servants in my house that, again, is oppressing you, needs healing. We would have been like, go back to Russia. Boo. (laughs) Boo, right? And not only does Jesus heal this person's servant, But he says, these people are going to inherit the kingdom you're hoping for. And your forefathers, Abraham Lincoln and George Washington and all those people will be there in the kingdom. And you won't be there. You'll be left on the outside where there's weeping and there's gnashing of teeth. Y'all, this is the person that Jesus says has the greatest faith he had seen. Okay, what does this tell us? In other tellings of the story in the other gospels, there's a reluctance from Jesus. There's a reluctance from the people around him. Why? Because they're not sure if he should heal this person. But here's what we realize about Jesus. Jesus is not looking for nationalities. Jesus is not looking for ethnicities. Jesus is not looking for us to have the right allegiance to the right country. Jesus is after hearts. The kingdom of Jesus is full of people whose hearts are rightly turned towards him, and they recognize his authority 
and they recognize him as king and master. You know, a few years ago, Callie and I were worship leaders, and we used to go around the state leading at different, different campuses, and we'd take different people with us. If you all know Jacob Huggins, he was like 14 when we started taking him. He plays electric guitar back here. He's got the mustache and the long hair. Uh, and we always had to bring an extra toothbrush because we called him Huggy Baby Bear. <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing this to him. Uh, uh, would always forget his toothbrush. And so... <clears throat> We were driving back from Hebrew one day, and we had like six people packed into my Hyundai accent, which I'm pretty sure can only hold like three people. And so we're like barely making it up hills. You know, that's, that's the situation we're in. And we, we, we drive past a Walmart, and we see a sign that says, free kittens. And me being the great leader I am said, we've got to pull over and see these kittens, right? I had my team. I had to keep team morale up. And so the girls are holding the kittens and petting them. And I'm talking to the guy who's selling them. And he's wearing like a veteran jacket. And he's wearing a hat, you know, army veteran. And we're kind of making small talk. And he says, you know, where are you coming from? And I said, well, we're a worship team. We were just leading worship at a church up in Hebrew Springs. You know, you should come check it out next week. He goes, oh, you don't want me in your church. I said, I bet I do, you know. Uh, I'd love for you to come to my church. And he goes, you don't know what I've done. He says, you don't know the amount of people that I've killed. You don't know how I killed them. The things that I did when I was overseas. He said, the things that I see when I lay down at night. He said, you don't want me in your church. He says, I'm too far gone. And honestly, I, I was like, oh, okay, well, we'd love for you to come next week. You know, I didn't know what to say. And that next week, I, I read something in the book of Acts that I wish I'd had in my pocket, and I've had in my pocket ever since. Peter said to the people who killed Jesus, he said, what you did, you did in ignorance. And he said, there's still grace for you. Yo, I don't care what you've done. What I wish I would have said to him is, you may have killed people, but you didn't kill Jesus, okay? God's grace is sufficient for us. Y'all, listen, some of you are in here right now and you don't feel worthy to be in the building because of things you did this morning. You're full of shame. You're full of guilt. Things maybe you did at other times in your life. And, and you'd say, Bronson, if you knew what I did, I just can't shake the shame. Yo, Jesus is the king who's come to heal us no matter what we've done, no matter what we represent. Jesus is the willing king. And all he asks is that we have faith in who he is and the authority that he has. And he says he will heal us. Number one, Jesus is the willing king. Number two, Jesus is the transcendent king. Everybody say transcendent. Matthew 8, 8 through 10. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are, my servant will be healed. I know this because I'm under authority. My superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I say go, and they go. I say come, and they come. I say do this, and they do it. Jesus was amazed. Turned to those following him, he said, I'll tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Everybody say omnipotence omnipotence, omnipotence, okay. What does omnipotence mean? This is a theological term that, that means in practice and power that God can do anything that he sets his mind out to do. It doesn't mean that he can literally do everything. He cannot sin, he cannot lie, he cannot change his nature, he cannot deny the demands of his holy character. But all that he wills and all that he promises he can do. What this man recognizes is the omnipotent power, the transcendent power of God. Yo, this is phenomenal, okay? Just think about it again. There's a guy going around. We hear he's healing people. We hear he's leading people. People are starting to follow him. And he goes up and he recognizes 
this teacher, this healer has so much authority. He's the ultimate authority. He can speak and things will happen. <clears throat> he can speak and things will come to be. He can speak and someone far from him will be healed. I wonder, as you've been following Jesus, if you've ever had this thought, if God was just here with me, like if I could just walk behind Jesus the way the disciples walked behind Jesus, I wouldn't struggle with what I'm struggling with. I wouldn't have the doubts that I have. I wouldn't have the fears that I have. But look what happened to the disciples. When trouble came, they scattered, they struggled, they dealt with their issues as well. What he recognized is that when Jesus speaks, what he says goes into action. What does this mean for us? This means that for you, no matter what you're going through, no matter where you're at, no matter how far from God you think you are, Jesus can speak from his throne in heaven and things will start to move on your behalf. How do I know this? Yo, I have experienced this in my life. I have never seen Jesus. I've never hugged Jesus. I've never been one-on-one, -on -one, like physically with Jesus. But my life has been restored by Jesus. I've been healed of drug addiction by Jesus. Generational curses of addiction, of divorce, of adultery, of purposelessness, of mental illness have been broken in my life not because of me, but because of the kingdom of God that I get to be a part of, y'all, it's called the church. Wherever people are submitted to Jesus as king, there his kingdom is. You know, a few years ago, uh, Callie and I got back from the mission field and um, we, we didn't have very much money to our name, but we needed a car. We'd sold everything before we went. We got back and we wanted a Subaru Outback, right? And so I found one in Memphis. And you know how like when you first start shopping, you have like a, a price limit and that just creeps and creeps and creeps and creeps. There's an economic term for that. I can't remember right now, but that happens with houses, happens with everything. So we end up out the door spending $27,000 on a car. I don't have a $27,000 car now, okay? M much less than, and so I call my financial advisor who's actually my cousin. Uh, he loves Jesus and is great with money. And he was furious. <laughs> he was one of my supporters when I was on the mission field. And he said, Bronson, I cannot understand why you keep doing these certain things. He said, I cannot understand why you keep handling your money the wrong way. He said, I can't understand why you can't learn from other people. You can't learn from other people's mistakes. You always have to miss, make a mistake on your own, don't you? And he hung up the phone. Years later, he apologized to me. He said, man, I'm so sorry I said that to you. I've, I've had guilt for it ever since. And I said, that was the best thing anyone ever said to me. Because you know what I recognized? I made a really bad king. <laughs> I made a really bad Lord of my own life. When I was Lord over my own life, my finances were bled dry. When I was Lord under, over, my, over my own life, I made poor decisions. And so I stand here before you as a 33-year-old man who still doesn't make all of his own decisions, <laughs> Right? Why? Because I'm submitted to Jesus and I'm submitted to other people within the kingdom of Jesus who can help me walk in his ways. You know, what I found is that faith is not me and God. That's not a kingdom. It's us and God. It's the thing that God's doing among us. And, and what I want to tell you today is that if you're in a place where you're destitute, your land is dry, your land is barren, 
God can restore everything that the devil has taken from your life. I'm a living testimony, not to my glory, but to the glory of God, of what can happen. And y'all, I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in my friend's life. And if you stick on the path, you may well see it too. You know, yesterday, Callie and I took Georgia on a walk. And, um, you know, two and a half year olds do not have long attention spans, right? And so we get on the path and we're like six feet in, like we're on the worst part of the path. And she's already like ready to go back. We're like, no, just stay on the path. Keep going down. And it it was a battle (laughs) to get her to the best part, which was a park in the middle of the path. But once she finally got there, she loved it and she played and she didn't want to leave. You know, our faith is like that. We get started on the path and it doesn't look like what we thought it would look like initially. And so we jump off of the path. You know, walking with Jesus and having Jesus as your king is a progressive walk and it's a progressive life. And here's what you'll find. As you walk with him, you'll find more freedom. You'll find more peace. You'll find more of his presence. And things are better than you ever thought they'd be. Amen. Number one, Jesus is the willing king. Number two, Jesus is the transcendent king. And number three, Jesus is the king above all kings. Matthew 8, 11 through 12. And I tell you this, many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from the east and the west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Y'all, we cannot miss this. Those who thought they were in by culture and birth were the ones who were out. Jesus is not interested in your cultural formation. Jesus is interested in the devotion of your heart. When we read this, this place, this weeping, this gnashing of teeth, this hell, we think it's for the worst of sinners. But the truth is, it's for the rebels. It's for those who rebel against the kingship of God because under the kingship of God is life and health and human flourishing. Y'all, we have seen, look at history, what other kings will do to us. We have seen what other kings will bring to us. They do what? They drink our rivers dry. They destroy our land. And what I want to submit to you is that your life under the king of kings, the king above every king, the king that sits in heaven, the right hand of God, who is seated. We're gonna talk about that here in a second as we close. When you're under his kingship, you find everything your heart desires. Hebrews 12, verse two. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Why do we need a king? Because there's a battle and there's a war. And we need a king who goes before us, who leads us into battle, who teaches us the right strategies and who covers us. We need the king who reigns above every other king. In Hebrews 12 and all throughout the Bible, it says that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It means that Christ has authority over every evil power, every dominion. In the world we live in, this world we live in that is at war. Some of you see warfare in your homes. You need a king who's seated. 
Some of you see warfare against your children. You need a seated king. You don't need a frantic king. You don't need a nervous king. You need a king who has won the battle. You need a king who can see the future, and you need a king who is seated enthroned. You see warfare in your marriages, a direct attack on your finances, your emotions, your mental health, your relationships, and your bodies. You need the reigning and seated king. But no matter what unseen spiritual force your family is facing, Christ is above them all. He is greater in power and majesty and authority than any spiritual enemy you face. Did anybody feel crushed in this past couple of years? Show of hands. Like you had a moment where you're like, I don't know if I'm, I'm gonna make it, like in my mental sanity, in my home, I don't know if my marriage is gonna make it. I don't know what my faith is going to make. I don't even know if I want to be a part of church anymore. And everything pressed in on you. But if you're a Jesus follower, there was something in you that didn't crack and didn't break. And what that is, is the Holy Spirit of God that is present within you. Yo, wherever you are submitted to Jesus, that is where the kingdom of God reigns. And there's no height, there's no depth, there's no angel, there's no demon, there's no principality of darkness, there's no power in this world, there's no power beneath this world that can come against those who are in Christ Jesus. The word says that we are more than conquerors, that we are chosen sons and daughters, that we are forgiven, that we are called... And that under the lordship and kingship of Jesus, we will walk in every bit of purpose that God has put in us and that God has designed us for. He has a plan for you. You are chosen, you are called, you are loved, you are protected. And that's what the ruling and the kingship of Jesus does. And so I want to ask the question one more time. Do you have anything else that might be on the throne of your life that's seeking to actually rob you of the life and the hope and the peace that Jesus might have for you. I want want to close with this quote. There's a persistent temptation to turn good things into God things. Hard work is good. The same can be said for love and family and fitness and sports and church and so many other things we idolize. In their place and in proportion, they're all good, but not one of them is God. Idolatry is worship of an unworthy object. The counterculture revolutionary act is to direct our hearts and our deepest devotion towards God and only God, the creator of our beings. The true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and truth. Right worship has the power, listen to me, Right worship, right affection, right adoration has the power to put our lives back on course and in the process expose misplaced priorities of a culture gone rotten. The church exists to be a counterformative community to confront our idolatry. We don't go to church for entertainment. No, what we're really here for is transformation into the image of Jesus. Y'all, what is this saying? The king, the idol of your heart could be a good thing. It could be your kids. But what happens when your kid gets sick? Where's your hope? Where's your peace? Where's your security? Could be your job. What happens when you lose that job? Could be your finances. What happens when recession hits? Could be our country. May well not be here forever. 
could be our politicians. What happens when their promises don't come true, right? Could be bad things. Could be drugs, could be sex, it could be greed, it could be all different types of things. But I want you to do is just take a moment, just a few moments here. We got a few more moments together and just honestly search your heart. What's on the throne of your heart? What's that thing that you think, if I don't have this, if this isn't stable, I've got nothing. And we could submit it to the Lordship of Jesus. The Lordship of Jesus means no matter what we go through, no matter where we go, no matter what path we walk down, we have hope, we have peace, and we have security because we know how the story ends. Jesus is our victor. He is our champion. He's the one who's gone before us. He's the one who covers us and who surrounds us. And he's the one who holds our future in, our, in his hands. Amen. I got two questions for you. What's God speaking to you? What are you what's he asking you to lay down? What's he asking you to recognize? Number two, what are you going to do about it?